dudes, dudettes, this is Raphael from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you guys are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, Turtle Power! You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now your hosts, Scott and Miles. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 177. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening. I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And we have with us... M. Sierra Garcia. Hello. Yeah, yeah. We have M back. It was, yeah. it, we, were, we, were, we were kind of lonely last week when we recorded Aww, without M. I, I missed you guys. I know. I know. And you know, the irony was that when you did that, you like, hey, yeah, I can hop on like at one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. I totally missed your Facebook message. Ah, oh, so. Scott. I booked, I, I blocked some time in my calendar at work, so I looked busy. And I was going to go into one of the conference rooms. Scott, you suck. I do. I do. Totally. And uh, I'm willing to admit That's it and totally okay. own up to it. It's but, your show. I'm uh, just, I'm just, a, I'm uh, riding your coattails, baby. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we like that you're riding our coattails. Though. That's awesome. Dog. That could actually sound kind of creepy, and we won't go there. But all right, new topic. New topic. Switch. Um, so, uh, Miles, what's been going on in your world with sci-fi, man? Well, I haven't been reading anything new yet. Um, however, I. Found on Netflix. Netflix has got a on their streaming site a plethora of good um, comic book superhero animated uh, movies on there, Ooh. and uh, I'll have um, I'll, I'll talk about that more in our Sci-Fi Five and Five. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. awesome! And 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 watching the shows that we're we're watching. Yeah, the ones that we'll talk about when we get to the listener feedback. Mm-hmm. So yep. yeah, how about you, Am? Anything new in your world in Sci-Fi? Um, I saw Superman three times. Oh my. <laughs> now, does that does that beat Star Trek for you then? It doesn't beat Star Trek because to me they're different but similar. And then um, I just caught World War Z this weekend. Awesome, oh. awesome. We look forward to hearing your thoughts in the listener feedback show about that. We actually, just as a side note, we're looking at um, and then we talked about. I chatted with Miles. He's totally for it, and that is July 9th. When we record our next episode of doing it, a Superman show. Yay! 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 And uh, you have some, I think you have someone that's like somewhat of a Superman expert you're bringing on. Well, he's, he's very much a Superman guru. Um, I need to, I still need to reach out to him and ask him if he's available because he is over on the left side of the country. Okay. So timing-wise might be a little funky, but then there's a backup option okay. who is much closer to our side of the country. Um, but I'll let that be a surprise. Wow. All right. <laughs> what was that? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that should be fun. That should be fun. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> I um, And as far as... F- uh, from my end, I have not watched Superman or World War Z yet, um, although I would love to. I just haven't had the time. And um, I'm behind in all the shows, and I'm still reading <laughs> sci-fi. And actually, I am about 
six episodes into Orphan Black, which I'm absolutely loving, and Defiance, I'm loving. I was, I'm about two or three episodes behind in Defiance, but okay. have caught up to that point. And so, again, my wife is absolutely loving Defiance. Mm-hmm. And uh, so some good sci-fi that's been for my end of things, at least. I should say, uh, for, for Father's Day weekend, uh, my brother and I took my dad out to see the new Star Trek movie, and he, and he loved it. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Awesome. What a great, a great mm-hmm. Father's Day present. So he's he, he's a Star Trek fan. He got me into Star Trek when I was, uh, you know. Wow, um, so it's his fault. It's it, blame blame my dad. It's his fault. Aww. You're so crazy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, Man of Steel. We're going to do that review on July 9th, and uh, we're looking at doing a sci-fi rewind again. We kind of. What was the last one we did? I don't know. It was with you, Em. What, Fifth Element? Yep. Yeah. We did, it was the last one we did, and now we're talking. Um, we had toyed around with doing Jurassic Park. So this is, what, the 20th anniversary of it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so it uh, looks like we're going to try and do that uh, about August 6th. So if you can write it and want to send in your thoughts by that date. And we're probably going to put up a poll somewhere before that to get some ideas of maybe some movies you'd like us to rewind. And uh, mm. you can vote away. So... We gonna, totally need to do Howard the Duck. We do. <laughs> okay. My, I'm putting my, it up my, right now. My, 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 Miles, Miles' brain just froze. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but not totally sure. <laughs> not totally sure. <laughs> and here's tonight's menu. This week we'll, we'll have a new trivia question uh, with a prize. And in special interest, we're going to just uh, have, remember Richard Matheson. He was a sci-fi writer uh, um, and wrote some, you know, Episodes for Star Trek, for Twilight Zone. If you enjoyed any sci-fi in the last 20, 30, 40 years, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have seen this guy's work. In TV news, we're going to talk about why Under the Dome producer warns that the bad guys are us. It's official. Also, Ron Moore, is, his tra- time-traveling Outlanders is getting a series order. We reported that, that before, but it's a definite now. In movie news, uh, it turns out there's going to be two Independence Day sequels, but no Will Smith. We'll talk about more about that. And um, Man of Steel nabs $170 million in, in, in uh, promotional dollars. We have a movie trailer for the new uh, animated Justice League movie, The Flashpoint Paradox. And this week's twist, uh, real-life uh, Star Trek Tricorder pro- project raises a million dollars. And Sci-Fi 5 of 5, um, great animated comic book superhero adaptations on Netflix you ought to check out. And our interview tonight? Our interview is with uh, Rob Paulson that we had a chance to talk to over at the Farpoint Convention. Uh, Man of a Thousand Voices. Um, he was Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. He was one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, one of the Animaniacs. Um, he did. He's done lots of voices over the last twenty or so years. He's a very recognizable voice. He's um, basically a voiceover genius, and I, I adore him painlessly. <laughs> I mean, just he's he. I aspire to be as flexible and creative as he is. He's he's amazing. He he was amazing, and he was a very fan friendly, fan favorite guest at this convention. If you wanted to talk to that character. That you loved in your childhood, he would talk to you in that character's voice. It was it was fantastic. He's super for the fan. He's complete. He's all about the fan, which is is so gracious. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear it in the interview. But I just going to say he has he has a heart for the for the troops. And so he was talking about a story about um, a USO story. He's talking about these these tough Marines, and he starts breaking into his you know. His pinky voice or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles voice, and these guys are laughing <laughs> out of their chairs. So, uh, great guy. If you get to see him at a convention, he's worth seeing. 
Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I look forward to hearing the interview since I bailed on Farpoint at that point. So I'm glad you got a chance to chat. It was, it was a good time. Awesome. So, you call yourself a geek and a nerd? Prove it. Prove your geek cred by answering challenging trivia and entering for a chance to win some awesome prizes. Well, why don't we move into our uh, trivia this week, and uh, Miles, let us know what's going on in the world of trivia. Okay, we're going to make you work a little harder for this, but as we say before, IMDB is your friend. You're just going to have to do a little little, little hunting. Um, so what does Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, the show's Lost and Defiance, have in common? And the answer is, well, that's for you to tell us. Ooh. But uh, we're going to give you a great prize since we're going to be uh, putting out our uh, Rob Paulson interview. Uh, he signed us a, a really cool print of his, and so we'll give that as a prize if you get the answer right. Awesome. That's a great prize, Dan. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, can I win it? Can I win it? Can I win it? I love him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Darn! Wow. I see the answer. Yes, Never yes, yes, yeah, yeah. It's right there. It's right there. Um, <clears throat> what is the code word that they have to include when they actually send that in? The code word um, is Irathian. So spammers Irathian. stay away. Yeah, spammers beware. Mm-hmm. No, very cool. So <laughs> if you want that, uh, you want to get that into us probably by uh, July twenty third. Very good. Well, let's move into our first promo tonight. And since we just had an episode of this show premiere, and um, by next week when this airs, there'll be a second one, you need to be listening to the Under the Dome podcast, Under the Dome radio podcast by Wayne and Troy. Troy was on our Star Trek podca- mm-hmm. podcast, and Wayne, who's called in many times and did the whole the awesome Fringe Casting podcast, mm-hmm. uh, now has an Under the Dome radio podcast where they kind of take each week's episode and kind of tear it down, talk about it, and um, point out its int- intricacies and so on. Uh, but they have that. They're going in. And this is a promo for that podcast. Hey, Wayne. What do a woodchuck, an airplane, and a cook have in common? Oh, Troy, this is not the time for jokes. A giant dome is about to appear over the town of Chester's Mill. Exactly, Wayne. The plane, the cook, the woodchuck all would have been better prepared for Dome Day if they had been listening to Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio? I've done some radio before. It's a new podcast this summer by and for fans around the upcoming miniseries Under the Dome. A podcast? Hey, maybe we should host it. We are hosting it, Wayne, and we invite all of you fellow dome heads to come and stay in the dome all summer long. So tune in to WUTD for Under the Dome Radio and leave some feedback on the website at underthedomeradio.com. For your first course, the latest in the universe of science fiction multimedia. All right, well, let's move into our news tonight, and uh, we really should have some taps playing here, Miles. Well, we should have something, because th- this guy's a legend in, in the sci-fi world. He is indeed a legend. So, uh, s- sad... Focus sad, on the legend part of that. Yes, uh, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're sad to say that uh, uh, Richard, Matheson re- Richard Matheson recently passed away. He was the author of uh, I Am Legend. And he, pe- he was 87... 86. Uh, so we lost a legend, writer Richard Matheson, author of I Am Legend, and a ton of other great works passed away at the age of 86. From movies to books to television, he's done it all, and done it well. M- Matheson's daughter, uh, Allie, announced 
his passing in a private Facebook post. My beloved father passed away yesterday at home surrounded by people and things he loved. He was funny, brilliant, loving, generous, kind, creative, and the most uh, wonderful father ever. I miss you and I love you forever, Pop. And I know you are now happy and healthy in a beautiful place, full of love and joy. You always knew it was there. On a literary front, uh, Matheson was best known for writing and in the aforementioned I Am Legend, uh, Stir of Echoes, The Shrinking Man, What Dreams May Come, and Hell House. And he's been writing since the early 50s and never stopped. His last novel, Generations, was published in 2012. His short stories have, al- have also inspired a few feature films, including his 1970 story, Button Button, reimagined as a Twilight episode, as well as uh, 2009's The Box, and uh, Real Steel from, from 1956, which turned into Hugh Jack- Jackman's metal-kicking uh, uh, boxing flick of the same name in uh, 2011. Matheson has been uh, a force in sci-fi for decades, in addition to his myriad novels and movie credits, also cut his teeth writing some of the most uh, iconic Twilight Zone episodes produced, including Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, Steel, Little Girl Lost, even cooler. He also wrote the, the Star Trek original series episode, The Enemy Within, which featured good versus evil versions of Captain Kirk. Matheson has uh, making great sci-fi longer than most fans have been alive, and even if you've gotten into any of his works, he's almost certainly had an effect on, on someone you, you do like. Stephen King cites him as the author who influenced him most as a writer, and some of his work on The Twilight Zone is groundbreaking stuff that paved the way for all smart, serious sci-fi we enjoy today. Yes. Rest in peace. You will be missed. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many. Um, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. What a classic Twilight Zone episode mm. it was. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that. That was a good one. And uh, and um, I'm just like, I, I did not realize that he was the uh, force behind Real Steel, the Hugh Jackman's metal boxing robot. I, did not en- I watched that and did mm-hmm. not enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, But there's a lot of his movies that I have watched and enjoyed. Right. Well, and I wouldn't. I didn't even realize he was touched. He touched that because I read "What Dreams May Come," and that's. And then there was the movie adaptation, and it's a hauntingly gorgeous, powerful book yeah. that I wouldn't put together with any of the others. And I, I I've read most of "I Am Legend." Um, I, st- I still haven't finished that one, but it's it's really it's really interesting the spectrum of work that he did and everything he touched, and it just it it didn't dawn on me until after the fact. Yeah, well, you know, as an English teacher, his his story "Button Button" is anth- is anthologized in a lot of the ninth grade textbooks. So each year, ninth graders are reading "Button Button" by him. You know, it's so it's their exposure to him. And even though they, like they came out with what the movie version of the box, um, which was absolutely terrible, and they had a Twilight Zone episode of it that was just as terrible. But the the story itself is actually a really good story. I remember reading "Button Button" in high school and yep. thinking this is you know very very. Uh, poignant uh, story. Well, what do you think of the Trek episode you did? Emily with Enemy Within. Enemy with, it's a fantastic Star Trek episode. Uh, it's um, it's interesting psychological look of you know having you face your good self or your or your or your um, evil self and um, it was a good 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 human exploration story. And so it, 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 it's a favorite. Well, you know, you, uh, you know, you've arrived if you have Stephen King saying he's the person that you're, you're the person that he's influenced most, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, you've arrived somewhere mm-hmm. as a writer. If that's the impact you're having in someone. But. Very true. Very true. Very true. 
Um, so, uh, TV news. Why Under the Dome producer warns the bad guys are us. And this is an article by Kathy Huddleston. I love that name. Uh, CBS heads off into Stephen King. Talking about Stephen King here. Territory tonight with the new series, Under the Dome. But don't expect your standard hard show, said creator and executive producer Brian K. Vaughn in an exclusive interview with Blaster. The thing I love best about the show is, unlike a lot of genre shows, our enemy in the show is not zombies or space aliens or smoke monster like in Lost. This is... That's almost like a jab at Lost, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit there. Uh, mm-hmm. This is, at its heart, a character-driven <laughs> drama. The bad guys are us and the things we do to one another. I think it's always going to be very focused on our characters and the people of Chester's Mill. How, how do they deal with the fact that we have limited resources under this dome? Under the Dome is based on the King novel, the same name, which explores what happened in the town of Chester's Mill and suddenly inexplicably sealed off from the rest of the world by a massive transparent dome. The series stars Mike Vogel and Rochelle Lefebvre. I'm not going to tell you math mess that up. Dean Norrison. I should stop with the names. But anyways, so this is kind of the basis with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the book is... Not really, it doesn't really follow the book, but the concept's kind of based in the book. That's my understanding of the show. Mm-hmm. Have you read the book, Miles? No, I can't say I have. I'm, I, I've not read much Stephen King because I'm not really into horror, but this is this obviously is not really horror. So Yeah, I read The Stand, made it through that one, and I got partway through The Dome. I'm not finished with it. Mm-hmm. Em, how about you? Have you read The Dome, Under the Dome? I have not read it. I'm not a. I'm not. I'm also not a really a big Stephen King fan. Um, I like what he brings to film, but his books, um, there, there's there. Oh no, Pet Cemetery. Never mind. I read that thing like six times. I love that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyways, the idea that you know he does mention something that I think I. This is one of the things I'm liking about Defiance. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that I'm liking. Uh, I think about Falling Skies is the bad guys aren't just any alien creature out there, but they are the people that are like John Pope. Right. And even the, even the guy that's in charge of the military and falling skies, um, Ed, what, what, how, what's the guy's name? I forget, but okay. I, I think you know who I'm talking about, yeah. but anyway, he is, he's totally, they kind of switch and he's, people aren't good or bad and it drives a conflict forward. That's what makes a good show. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this more in the listener feedback, but I, I saw the show last last night and just thinking uh, there's only a handful of people that I would say are good people in this show. A lot of these people are definitely flawed people, and so it'll be interesting to see whether they can either rise to the occasion, maybe find some redemption, or are they going to continue down the dark path that they are already on? Well, it's just like, what will people do when they're faced with... I mean, isn't this really what kind of revolutions kind of also dealt with? You know, people that have nothing, what you do in you to survive? Yeah, well, they're, they're totally sealed off from everybody and yeah. everything. I mean, there's some... I mean, they have... They can't communicate with the outside world. They can see the outside world. Maybe if you write a little note on a piece of paper and, and you know, sh- you know, show it to them or whatever. Hold it up. Hold it up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's the only way the people they could see each other, but they can't hear each other. So they are totally cut off from everybody and everything. And so they only have what's inside the dome. Yeah. Well, you know what? And the idea of having to survive on just what you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really Walking Dead if you want to argue it, right? So there is definitely going to be a it, no zombies. Sur- no zombies, but um, definitely a survival story, and we'll see people at their best and, and at their worst here. Yeah. 
Um, do you want to take the uh, next story to put you on the spot, the Ron D. Moore Time Traveling Outlander series? Sure. Well, it is official. Ronald D. Moore's Time Traveling Outlander gets a series order. Exciting! Ronald D. Moore is officially a showrunner again. The Stars Network announced today that it's given a 16-episode series order to Moore's adaptation of Outlander, the best-selling fantasy series by Dana uh, Gabaldon. No. That works. Gabaldon. Yeah, Gabaldon. Diana Gabaldon. How about I do that again? Yeah. Because it's so not Dana. The Stars Network announced today that it's given a 16-episode series order to Ronald D. Moore's adaptation of Outlander, the best-selling fantasy series by Diana Gabaldon. Moore will serve as writer and executive producer for the series, which will shoot in Scotland this fall for a 20, yeah, 2014 premiere. So just a few months after we got the encouraging news that Moore was mustering a writing staff, the show is a reality. Yay! Um, Chris Albright of the CEO of Star says, We are thrilled to be bringing Outlander to stars next year. Diana is cre- has created an incredible, compelling heroine story thrust into a very complex world not to mention time the books weave a fascinating tapestry of history spirituality love and honor not to mention plenty of time travel sex and warfare with diana's stories guiding us i know boys relax with diana's (laughs) stories guiding us Ron's mastery and Ron's mastery. We hope to bring claire and jamie to life for millions of fans all over the world The Outlander novels, which tell the story of Claire Randall, a combat nurse in 1945, who is suddenly swept back to 1743 Scotland, have sold more than two, oh, I'm sorry, more than 20 million copies and frequently appear on the New York Times bestseller list. The eighth novel in the series, written in my own heart's blood, is due out March 2014. The author said, oh, Ronald D. Moore says, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to bring these books to life. Diane has created a rich and textured world filled with intriguing characters. And I believe that Stars is perfect home for her story. I think we'll make something that millions of fans of these books will enjoy and recognize as Outlander. So between this and the forthcoming sci-fi series Helix, which he's executive producing, it looks like 2014 is going to be a very good year for Ronald D. Moore. Could you ask for more? Yes, I'm asking for more and more. There you go. Will you be watching Outlander? Are you guys going to, are you ready? Are you excited? Miles, go ahead. I, I'll you answer this one. I, I'll have to wait till the DVDs come out. I don't have stars, so. Well, you know. Neither do I, Paco. But come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm. Ex- this is kind of a departure. Like when I think of more, I think of Battlestar Galactica. I think of Caprica. I think of that little failed little virtuosity did. I think of you know obviously Star well, Trek. All. Yeah, Star Trek stuff. I don't typically associate him with something fantasy based. Mm-hmm. And this seems, it doesn't say that, but it seems much more fantasy than sci-fi related. You're time traveling back into Scotland, this nurse has to kind of deal. It, you know, it seems to be much more of a human story, I guess. Well, he always hey. likes, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Em. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, any, I mean, sci-fi, yeah, he, he is mostly in the sci-fi world. However, he likes to really make it, make it more of a character driven project. And so I think this, this is something he could really sink his teeth into as far as exploring these characters and the, 
putting them in these crazy situations. Em, any thoughts? I I know him from Star Trek, and then um, and then I knew him from BM, BMG, <laughs> BSG. <laughs> so when I found out about Carnival, and I saw some of those episodes, it was really rich and and kind of elegantly creepy and beautiful. So I'm I'm excited for this because I I I trust Ronald D. Moore. I trust him with this kind of story. I trust him with this kind of genre. As long as, you know, he gets to do what he wants to do and someone just signs the checks, we're fine. We're hmm. fine. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm actually looking forward to the little I know of Helix more than I am Outlander. But, you know, who knows? It's, I mean, Helix hasn't been picked up, has it officially? Or is it, it says a sci-fi series. So I guess it's forthcoming. So Sci-Fi must have picked it up. Well, they they did have that brief teaser for it. Oh yeah. So I guess they, mm-hmm. I guess they are definitely planning to bring it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to take a wait and see. I need to see a trailer of this before maybe I commit. The trailer needs to sell me on it, mm-hmm. and it might it might just do that. I mean, more more hasn't really failed me yet. So except for the ending of Battlestar, it failed some people, but yeah. Well, uh, yes. He kind of got screwed because I don't. <laughs> I, I I mean that's a that's a topic for another show. I I don't think he got to finish the show he the way he really wanted to. I think he was rushed. Yeah. That could be. Yeah. Uh, it looks, that, I'm gonna be honest, I love the finale. So some people didn't, but I, I actually liked it. Well, I liked the first half. I didn't care for the second half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just it was it built up to something very cool and then it kinda went wah 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 at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, oh, it was much better than, from what I understand, you know, lost departure <laughs> yeah. from television. Yes, <laughs> that's 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 true. And you although know, getting skewered in the eyes with you know squirrels that are on fire is better than the way the lost. Now that I would have watched. <laughs> that would make good television. It would have made lost so much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. You got that? You got that, Abrams? How to improve lost endings. <laughs> <laughs> Squirrels and fire skewed through the eyes. Um, let's move on. Do you want to take this next one, Miles? Sure. Uh, so in movie news, it turns out there's going to be two Independence Day sequels, but no Will Smith. So decla- today we declare Independence Day twice. Director Ronald Emmerich is out in the world doing his best to promote his latest offering, White House Dawn. But as ever, people are interested in hearing about the possibility of Independence Day sequel. If you have to be one of those people, hang on to your hat because things just got real. Real official, that is. 20th Century Fox has formally announced its plans to make not one, but two ID4 sequels, tentatively titled ID Forever, Part 1 and and 2. But just because there will be more movies doesn't mean that uh, the whole gang is going to get back together. Uh, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin will be taking the, the reins on the sequels, but at least one notable person will be absent, says Emmerich. Will Smith cannot come back because he's too expensive, but he's also too much of a, a marquee name. It'd be too much. We have the we, we have like maybe half of the people that you know would, would know from the first film and the other half people who are new. As of now, the only actor who is apparently promising to return is Jeff Goldblum, which is great news, especially if, if we need to give any aliens a cold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As for whether this is a reboot, sequel, or something in between, Emmerich explains, <coughs> excuse me, we're not doing a total reboot. We're doing something that's totally unusual. That sounds like a continuation to us, not just an immediate one, with an approximate 2015 release date. We can imagine the movie taking place, oh, 20 years after the first one. 
but do, do enough people still care about Independence Day to see it even without Will Smith? Hmm. Well, let me say this. Uh, by the way, I, I did hear there was a release date confirmed, July 3rd. Is it... Was it next year or was it 2015? 2015, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that, And it was July 3rd, surprisingly. Not surprisingly. Not, not surprisingly at all, no. yeah. You know what? I have been waiting for an Independence Day sequel for so long because it lent itself to that direction a long time ago. I mean... Uh, they, they could bring Data back. I guess he was killed. Data no. was killed in that one. But, yeah, he was. Uh, but I, I, <laughs> Alec Baldwin, you know, you can bring him back. Adam, Ball, a, Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin, yeah. Yeah, you bring Adam Baldwin back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, you know, and uh, Will Smith really does need to come back because, after all, After Earth did so well at the box office. Oh, absolutely. So it's so funny. The article says just he's too expensive. Maybe he might, uh, you know. Maybe he needs to be brought down a notch. Or maybe his son can act in his stead. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, uh, no. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I wonder if they'll have somebody else play the role that uh, Will Smith played. If they do it 20 years later, you know, who knows? His character may have died in a, in a battle. His char- who knows what could there happen? There are ways or- they can do that. There are right. definitely ways they can bring it back. Who, who, who do you need as a front runner to make this movie work, though? In your opinion. Yeah, I see. That's the thing. I mean, Will Smith kind of was the front runner. I mean, he, you know, he, he and Steve Goldblum flew the ship that, that gave the, the, Jeff, the mother, Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, thank you. Uh, the, the, the mothership, the, the cold, and, you know, we saw him fighting aliens. Uh, everybody else got killed. I mean, that, you know, was fighting the aliens. Um, I mean, the, the team up between the two of them was pretty good. Right. And it was fun and they were quirky and it worked for the first movie. And and I can I was looking forward to a a, a sequel but not this I'm not waiting this long, but if I've waited this long then I need to see I want to know what happened. Like all those ships ended up on the planet and all those critters, they couldn't have killed them all. You know, are they digging are they boring into the center of the earth and trying to find reestablish their race in there? Is there another mothership coming? Are maybe these guys were attacking this planet to get um to get uh, to gather the the materials they needed to fight another baddie, and another baddie shows up. Like I, I would want to see an extension and a continuation. I don't know if I need to see Jeff Goldblum again. <laughs> Yeah. I guess they're not making like Jurassic Park twelve for him to start. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and I think that if he's brought in, they can't bring him on as a main starring role anymore. I think you need you, you need a new duo. You need a new someone that plays maybe a, a more of a nerdy type guy that the underdog that you don't expect to maybe do anything like Jeff Goldblum was, and you need someone that you know the you know the hot shot jock army guy to kind of counterbalance each other maybe not those two exact characters we need that same guy that same kind of dynamic because that's really what made when i watch that movie when i still go back and watch the movie sometimes that would sell that's what sells it for me there's comedy in that there's there's humor there's a seriousness um the president's speech is still one of the best monologues i've heard in a movie in a long time mm-hmm. you know when oh yeah bill, bill pullman pulls that off Beautifully, mm, and, young Bill Pullman. Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then then you have the crop duster, 
right? I mean, he got killed, unfortunately. They, they, they just there's there's yeah. a, but there's so many people within this movie that had good roles. Oh and, sure, and went on to do other things. But it was just great just to watch them put the entire thing together. You need a pack. It was for me. It was more than Will Smith and more than Jeff Goldblum. It was the entire package of the movie that sold it for me. It was the hard ass commander that was kind of running the base down below. Mm-hmm. You know, right. the the whole thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent about another Independence Day movie because it's been so long, and it, with I mean, they 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 beat the aliens, and so I mean, it doesn't mean they couldn't come up with a, with a decent sequel, but it's just it just seemed like they had closure at the end of the movie. So yeah, if they do it, they can't rely on the formula they used in ID. I, I they agree. can't use it. They can't. It can't be all guns a blazing, nerdy guy. You know, hey, let's team up and save the world. It's got to be a little bit smarter. And if anything, this season of movies, this summer season, has brought some really smart, dark, interesting movies. I mean, you guys haven't. I, I don't know, Miles, if you've seen Man of Steel, but between Star Trek, Man of Steel. Um, after Earth, World War Z, some of these other movies that I've been watching, they're really intelligently done. And it's not all guns a-blazing. Like White House Down, I might go see it if somebody pays for the ticket and the popcorn. <laughs> There's just, like, I don't want that I don't want that buddy cop saving the planet. I want, I want it a little smarter. I want it a little deeper. Mm-hmm. So they, they, for me, and I'm not I'm not their demographic, but it, it's got to be smart. It's got to be really well done. So they really need a, they really need a, in a sense, bring this movie, the sequel up to a new generation is what they really need to do. And they need to bring it up yeah. to the modern time. They can't rely on what the mid nineties formula that they kind of relied on that worked for them. That really started. It was one of the movies that started the whole summer blockbuster thing. Yeah. yeah they would have to, you know, Change some things up to to, yeah. to, to get. I mean, it, it has been almost twenty years since uh, the first one came out, so they they would, they would have to, like like you said, um, make it for 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 this for this generation. Yeah. All right, let's move on into some Man of Steel news. Emma, do you want to read this one since you actually saw Man of Steel? Three times. <laughs> three times. Three times. You well, can, you can you can make the font large, or you can just kind of. Well, I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple of bullet points for this because, oops, um, this is it's a it's a neat little article about how how much money Man of Steel pulled in just from promotional dollars. So their opening weekend for Man of Steel was um, one hundred and sixteen million dollars. That's not bad. Is that right? Yeah, that's not not bad. bad. Um, just in promos, in just in promotional gear. This has nothing to do with ticket sales. This is like Superman and, outfits for kids. This is, you know, pillows. This is shoes. This is right. lunch Capes. boxes. Yep, this is it. figurines. Cereal. This is Gillette razors. Right. Have you, the adverts for Gillette razors with with Henry Cavill are just so pretty. You want to buy them? Um, but so 116 million first week ticket sales, but. Just in promotional hoo ha and stuff and swag, $170 million. Holy crap. So, just in the crap that I know. they're <laughs> Supermodel Reboot has 98 partners, more than Dark Knight Rises. With Sears playing a dramatic role in the film, 
Plus action figures from Mattel, razor blades from Gillette, cars from Chrysler. Chrysler's building a custom Man of Steel car. I know, right? (laughs) Shoes with Converse and even the National Guard. Um, It's unbelievable. I love that in this in this. Uh, article it says it's a bird it's a planet it's an ad um warner <laughs> brothers has booked a whopping 98 promotional partners worldwide so far that are providing about 170 million dollars in support on top of paid ads for man of steel that's even more than dark knight rises in addition to the already to those already on board warner's sources that even more international partners are expected before the movie takes flight june 14th which has already passed and you you can see promotional stuff everywhere. I mean, the list of partners goes, there's Lego, there's Jack's Pacific that does collectible figures and Fisher Price that does those little mini super friends. They're so cute. I have a set. <laughs> Shoes from Converse, costumes from Ruby's, Hallmark. Hallmark Cards has a deal with Superman. And uh, there's a couple of clothing companies like Kinetics and Junk Food and BioWorld. They make uh, they make tons of kit for video games and some and comic books. So now they're into the movie thing, but the the Chrysler thing is great. In the UK, Chrysler is offering two new series of vehicles inspired by the Man of Steel. <clears throat> Excuse me. The S series comes with oversized black alloy wheels dark steel grill and interior accents and a matte black roof and hood. Chrysler is also producing two and only two concept cars that will have everything from embroidered carpet mats to a man of steel branded key fob. Uh, want one? Hello. Uh, (laughs) they will be a part of a contest in the UK with the cars going to two lucky winners. I'm so going to move. Yeah. Right Um, there. Just for that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's just so much going on. I, I'm just like I'm, I was so excited at how much money they made, and then I saw this. Like they didn't even have to show the movie. I know they just made all of their money from all the promotional ads, which I have probably bought some of all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that so, is this is this is what this well, this is astounding to me because I think when we think of movies making money, we always think of what are the box office sales, right? But this is a whole other side of the franchise that. Superman, uh, I think, has a little bit of luxury here because, you know, every, one, of, one of everyone's first superheroes that they like is Superman, right? And, you know, it's one of the first really iconic superheroes, you know, from the 30s and the 40s, and right? And, and so you have, you know, we have this movie that everyone's kind of anticipating. It does well, but there's so much promotional material around it that they're actually making money, more money than they made on the movie, at least in this <laughs> first week. And I, I, I should look up what they actually made, but it's pretty, pretty nuts. Well, this is this is. It's safe to say they'll, they'll get a sequel. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. There's about supposed that. to be three in total. They're gonna do the like they did with Dark Knight. There will be three. Okay. Uh, and it, and uh, so, and you watched it three times, so you thought it must have been good. It was really good. It was really good. But I'm gonna save it for our episode because I could gush like friggin' Niagara Falls. I have my issues with it. Shocker. But there's some amazing stuff. Doesn't I mean really, I movie. dug it. Yeah. By the no, way, no, no. Yeah. By the way, it has a life crime, a lifetime growth. Man of Steel has made two hundred and ten million dollars. Just from the box office. Just from the box office, and uh, that oh, is, yeah. it's not even out of theaters yet. So. What Superman? Yep. No, it is out in theaters. No, I mean it's not out of theaters. 
It's still oh, Al, oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. I got you. I yeah. smell what you're cooking. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it must be pretty bad to smell all the way where you're at, Em. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, this is kind of cool. I like it. I think it's cool. I, I like, I mean, in fact, the superhero movie is making a ton of money. It's good to tell Hollywood that comic book superheroes is still still big money. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Miles, why don't you take this next story since you kind of put the uh, note in the show notes about this, you know, animated Justice League. Yeah, I, I found this today. Um, so later this year, it'll be released straight to DVD. It's called uh, Justice League Flashpoint Paradox. It's an alteration of the timeline for the superhero, The Flash. Uh, it, it creates ripples that disastrously alter the universe. Flash must team with other heroes to restore the timeline while the Earth is ravaged by a war between Aquaman's Atlantis and Wonder Woman's Amazons. And just some of the guest voices uh, for this. Uh, Nathan Fillion is going to voice uh, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. Uh, Ron Perlman is voicing Slade Wilson, Deathstroke. Uh, C. Thomas Howell is... Uh, uh, the Reverse Flash, Dan Delaney is Lois Lane, um, and the same voices that we, we we're familiar with for Superman and Batman, um, Kevin Conroy, who, who's voiced Batman in, in the animated series, and, and Sam Daly for, for Superman, uh, they'll, they'll be back also. Miles, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it's a few, every few weeks, you kind of highlight a new animated adventure that's going on either with Batman, Superman, and here we have The Flash. Mm-hmm. Is there something about these sorts of animations that continue to draw you back into them, that make you say, I love this stuff? They're just well-written. Um, being that they're kind of, it's a one-off single project, they can put some extra money into making the animation look really good. Um, so, yeah, it's just I, I haven't been disappointed yet in any of the ones I've seen. You know, they, they've, they've been putting these out for, gosh, I mean, just just these standalone animated movies for probably about five five or so years now. Mm. And so they're just, they're not, not all of them are, are, are uh, appropriate for kids. I mean, because they'll, they'll, they'll right. they're a little violent, but... Uh, but as far as just being quality uh, storytelling pieces, they're, they're, they're still good. And how about you? Do you get into a lot of the animation for, like, superhero animation like uh, we're talking about here? Two words, baby. Nathan Billion. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I do. I, I, I've gone back and watched the really cheesy Super Friends from when I was growing up. And I – because that's – it's what I know. And I, I'd like to go and see these movies. Um, there was a really great one. I, I like big graphic novels of the comic books. I don't like to. I, I just wait for that at the end. So to me, it's instead of waiting to get each each issue of a comic book over a period of X amount of months. So to me, it's like getting a, a graphic novel. And I love the care that they take to put these together. That they care about the story. That they care about who's who is portraying these characters. I mean, I love Kevin McKidd and the fact that he's playing Thomas Wayne. He's an amazing actor. So I can't wait to hear him in this. See Thomas Howell, classic. Dana Delaney, who else could be Lois Lane? Although, um, in the new Superman movie, she was amazing. Um, her name escapes me. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> in, the, in the live action one you just saw? Yeah. Um, okay. a- a- is it Amy, Amy Adams? Amy Adams. Delish. Um, it's, it's just, if it's done really well, I'll buy it. I'll own it. 
And that's I, I'm not I'm really particular about what I own and keep on the iTunes, but other movie players are available. Um, I, I I enjoy watching it, and Netflix does have an excellent excellent selection on there. So every once in a while, I'll pop something in and, and enjoy. Yeah, I just like this fact that you said you're watching Netflix and you pop something in. <laughs> because who does that anymore, right? I know. I know. You know what? I still remember Laserdisc. Yes, yes, yes. And eight tracks. But all right, let's. Let, let's Are let, you making fun of me now? <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, play this trailer, and then we'll talk about it on the other end. Awesome. World War Three. Maybe I could have stopped it. If I just ran a little faster. Faster! The speed force allows the reverse flash to travel through time. He changed something in the past. We have to find out what he changed and change it back before they kill everyone on the planet. In my world, I'm a hero. You mean like Batman? No matter how fast you run, you can't save everyone. We're running out of time. War's over. Everybody lost. No! You'd be amazed the monsters this world can create. Oh, so it's a time travel uh, episode, really? Yeah. Kind of. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and your impression, appropriate or inappropriate for kids? Hard to tell. It's hard to tell, but a bit I'm darker. Leaning, certainly, I'm, a bit darker. I'm leaning towards probably not. Yeah, yeah. So when I saw the name Reverse Flash, I was like, does he just go backwards really, really fast? Yeah, Reverse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He but that's it. really cool. He that he goes back in time. a tall glass of Romulan ale. Miles is serving up the latest in Trek news on This Week in Star Trek. Very cool. Well, Miles, I believe it's about time for you to bring us into This Week in Star Trek. Am I right? Or am I skipping ahead? No, 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 you're, you're right. Uh, All right, so, go ahead. So in this week in Star Trek, we got to thank M for providing this article. Thank you, M. Yes, thank you're you. You're welcome. So Star Trek fans may soon get a chance to have their own Dr. McCoy moment with the world's first real medical tricorder. Who doesn't want a Dr. McCoy in their pocket? I mean, come on. <laughs> Wait, which Dr. McCoy? DeForest or? Oh, I was thinking of Urban, actually. But... Thank you. Yeah, hello. <laughs> go ahead. So... This, re- this first real-life tricorder, which will be available to the public soon, thanks to a crowdfunding campaign that raised more than $1 million for the space-age technology. On Star Trek, Dr. Leonard McCoy Bones used a medical tricorder to scan patients and immediately diagnose their ailments. While the new real-life version called the, the, the Scandu Scout is missing some of the features of its science fiction counterpart, namely the ability to make internal scans and comp- complex diagnoses, it'll still be a handy device for medical checkups on the go. Within, ten, within about 10 seconds of pressing the, the, the Scandu Scout to your forehead with, with thumb and forefinger, the tool reads your heart rate, temperature, uh, 
oximetry, your that blood oxygen level, um, respiratory rate, blood pressure, stress, and electrocardiography. Uh, it's a 21st century version of the medical tricorder from Star Trek, said Scandu founder and CEO Walter uh, Dubrower. Basically, it has a compl- complete emergency room in there, and when you go to the emergency room, and they hook up, you up to the same readings you get out of the, the scout. It's one more device out of Star Trek that we that will see reality. About a month ago, Scandau started a, a crowdfunding campaign for the d- device on Indiegogo, hoping to raise uh, 100000 As of Monday, June 24th, the company had raised more than uh, 1.18 million. Wow, yeah, that's a little bit of an overshoot. So, shortly before wow. the campaign's one-month dead, deadline, uh, uh, Scanadil decided to extend it for another month. The public now has until uh, July 20th to order a, a first-generation uh, Scandal Scout for $198 before they're out in stores. Uh, DeBauer founded Scandal out of uh, NASA's uh, Ames Research Center in, uh, in Moffett Field, California. The Scout device all, even uses some real-life space technology as its operating system. The 32-bit uh, RTOS uh, Micrium platform, also used in the, the, the SAM instrument on NASA's Mars rover Curiosity. Uh, Dr. Bauer said his invention was inspired by Star Trek and hopes over time the Scout will become more uh, like the futuristic tool of the, of the television series. That's awesome. I want one. That would be very handy to have. That's- Amazing. I don't know if I want one. So amazing. I don't know if I want one for one hundred ninety nine dollars, but I want one. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, like if you're if you're someone who has to be very careful about their health, and you've got all these different machines to test them, and you could have just one machine that would do it all. Oh, this is perfect. it's yeah. wonderful. I mean, my dad had his blood pressure. He had his pulse ox thing. He had um, the blood. The, he had like six different little machines. If I had this one thing, he would love it because it looks like it's made by Mac because it's all shiny and white. Right. Um, but it would be just the one-stop shop. And think, I mean, you could have it with you on a trip if one of your kids gets sick. If you could, do, you know, it's it's so smart. And I'm I'm a little surprised it's taken this long, but I'm so excited that that someone is actually beyond on top of this, but has made this accessible and reachable. I can see my, my, my wife works for a, a home-based uh, medical equipment. Uh, uh, they, they lease and, and sell you know, home, home medical equipment. I could see this something that, that they would make available. Oh yeah. Not too distant future. You think of so many people that, you know, especially older people that, you know, have home care mm-hmm. uh, or people that are in nursing homes that kind of have their own apartments. This is a perfect device for them to have around. And um, I think, uh, you know, people that are monitoring their health because they've had health problems, um, like you were saying with your father, you know, people with cancer, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great way to kind of. Uh, so th- th- this could be a very helpful thing to, you know, to, to, to eventually have a home. This is one of those instances where someone, if someone were to come to me and go, oh, sci-fi is a bunch of, you know, bath-up voodoo. Yeah. <laughs> that was quite a pull. Yeah. Um, I could go, really, really, this is just a giant waste of time. Well, this little piece of sci-fi was in this little guy's brain, and that little guy's brain started thinking and putting things together and when studying math and science and understanding humanity and physics and all of it has taken this this fictional item and is making it really happen so that it benefits humanity, which is... It's what Star Trek was about. Right. So I, I, I would cram it in their faces, but nicely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, I agree. Would it in their faces. Yeah, but this is uh, it's 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 very cool when you see this sort of thing happening. So 
And I think of, you know, I think what's amazing is that people always, I think of all the franchises in in in, in science fiction, it's, it's Star Trek that is consistently people kind of refer to as far as um, items that somehow they've dabbled in that somehow become a reality. Star Trek has inspired much of everything. much yeah. of everything, yeah. yeah. I mean, as far Absolutely. as everything, you know, Absolutely. modern technology, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we go ahead and move into? There's no other. This is it for this week in Star Trek, right? That, that's that is it. Yes. Let's move into our last promo t- uh, tonight, and this is going to be uh, this promo is for a podcast that you're going to be on soon. A podcast called The Gatecast with uh, Mike and his co-host is again I Alan Alan Mike. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that, Alan. But Mike and Alan, and uh, they are rounding out season eight of Stargate SG-1 as they kind of uh, mm-hmm. wrap up. My understanding is you're going to make a cameo on that show? Yeah, I'm going to join them um, in a couple of weeks. We're, we're going to review uh, Mobius Part 1 and 2. That's the uh, season, th- those are the last two two episodes of Season 8. It's a time-traveling uh, one where they kind of go back and erase themselves. Uh, yes. Sort of. <laughs> so, and um, <laughs> also, they're, they're also reviewing Season 1 of um, Atlantis also. They, they, go, they go back and forth. So, so as soon as they got to the point in where Atlantis was on, they just figured since sometimes there's some... They're happening pro- simultaneously, sort of. They're happening simultaneously, and there's some crossover occasionally. Just So you, you, you get to hear a little both. Yeah, well, very good. So, anyways, this is a promo for the Gatecast. If you're interested in Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, Stargate, sorry about that, Stargate SG One and Stargate Atlantis, make sure you check them out. The myths of a thousand worlds tell of a time when darkness enveloped the galaxy, an age before the coming of the fifth race. Tales and legends of gods that could crush worlds, but with a gesture, and vast armies to enslave the free peoples of our realms. Armies whose existence spanned hundreds of generations, yet long gone. And we ask ourselves, what if these myths have a kernel of truth? One thing is known, those who now claim to be descended from the fifth race are not eager to look back into the darkness. But events have conspired against them, as long lost worlds outside of the gate systems have been discovered. The first artifacts and data have been studied, and now is the time for the true story to be told. These are the people of the fifth race, before they became saviors of the galaxy. Watch. Listen and comprehend, then spread the lessons we learned from the people of the Earth and its Stargate command. Engage the translation matrix. Matrix ready. Input search phrase. Gatecast, a Stargate podcast. Gatecast implemented. Translation and interpretation engaged for Stargate archives. Audio format. Enhance, please. Gatecast additional data located. Gatecast.co.uk Also under the heading Facebook, Google+, Twitter and iTunes. Gatecast, by fans, for fans. Stargate forever. Jude Ray, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been spiced. The Pinky. The Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain,
Welcome back to the podcast. Tonight, we have a very special interview with you. Uh, and with you, for you, I guess, as Petter said. Uh, we, of course, were at Farpoint, as you know, Farpoint 2013, the 20th anniversary. And uh, we, and by we, I mean actually Miles and David had a chance to sit down with this man, this man who has been... Uh, and really an icon in, in animation. Yes. Uh, called a man of a thousand voices. If you enjoyed some of the cartoons from back in the eighties through the nineties and even, even now, um, starting with the Smurfs, I believe uh, way back then. And transformers, the, the, the first, you know, the, the first, uh, rendition of transformers, um, you, you've, you've grown up with this guy and, and not even known it. Um, uh, yeah, he, but uh, you recognize his voice from Pinky in the Brain. He played Pinky uh, in the Warner Brothers, uh, the Animaniacs. Uh, I think it was the, he was he was the character Yakov. I'm not sure, but um, very recognizable voice. But if he, if he's ever at a con, a guest, make it a point to see him. He is very entertaining and very fan friendly. Like I said before, if you want to talk to one of your favorite characters that this guy performed, and he'll perform that voice for you. So you could be talking to Pinky or talking to one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or uh, a G.I. Joe character, a Transformer. Um, this, you know, he's, he's done so many of them. Now, you and David Moulton, David Moulton, of course, from the Landcast, who's been on this show before, sat down to interview him. Mm-hmm. What was that like? You know what? He, he is he is totally cool and laid back. You know he is you know just just the nicest, most giving guy, um, but fun. And so he he got into his his his, his pinky voice when somebody in the room, the woman who helps arrange us our, our interview, sneezed. He got into a pinky voice and you know she apologized and you know he made a funny comment on it and just um, <laughs> he you know he could just turn it on and off just just like that. But he, he was a lot of fun to talk to, and like I said, you, you've grown up with this guy, and so hearing him, you know, hearing him talk about how he got into the business, and um, you know, just just uh, what he's doing now. He, he has his own podcast. As far as if, if, if you're interested in doing voice work, um, he, he's he's he, he does a podcast for that. Um, so yeah, uh, d- d- great guy. Emma, how did you run in, or how did you come to know or be aware of this guy? So, watching Animaniacs, and I loved that show. He was Yakko, he was Pinky, he was Dr. Otto von Scratch and Sniff. He was all of them, and I was intrigued by this. And then when I started doing voiceover work, I was looking, I was really listening, and, and oh my gosh, this voice is amazing. Who is this? Who is this? And then it all turned out to be, it all turned out to be, to be him. It all turned out to be Rob Paulson, and so I, 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 I a little bit stalk him on the internet just to to listen to his work. I mean, he's been in everything, and there's stuff in here. I'm going through the list, and I'm he was on Fraggle Rock, he was uh, he was on Ducktales, and he was on Darkwing Duck and Duck Dodgers, and and just and he's on Teen Titans, which is another personal favorite cartoon. So he's. And he's so giving. The interviews I've seen with him on video or when he's been on TV, are he's just so into the fans and into creating something so that people are entertained. And I, I love that. Yeah, I went to his, his session um, on Sunday and very entertaining session. Uh, very good with the fans. You know, um, you know, if, if you said... 
your son or daughter serves in the military, he would give you, you know, high props for that because he has a heart for that too. Um, just, 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 just a cool guy. So if you, if you, if you enjoyed his work in the past, you'll definitely want to, if, if he's at a con, you definitely want to meet him. I'll give you a short intro. Okay. We have two of these because one time we, we, we recorded an interview with um, Vanessa Angel and uh, the one didn't record. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> so, listen, it's always good to have a backup. What's our time on this one? Um, 20. 20. Okay. So, aim for maybe 18. So take a picture and stuff. So, I have a short intro and then he and I will just go back and forth and ask you questions. No problem. We'll just let the interview go where, where it goes. All righty. So... Ladies and gentlemen, we're at uh, Farpoint uh, 2013, and we're hanging out with Mr. Rob Paulson, man of many voices, from the very popular Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Scooby-Doo, and most recently, Batman Dark Knight Returns Part 1, and just released not too long ago, Part 2. Uh, Mr. Paulson has been heard in some of the most popular animation from the last three decades. Mr. Paulson, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Thanks, guys. This is, uh, this is a pleasure. I'm glad that the folks can't see that my eyes are sort of beat red like your T-shirt. It's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but if they think they look red, they should see them from my side. It's pretty pretty red. <clears throat> but I'm good. Thank you. Oh, glad to have you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Well, I'm curious. How did you get into voice acting? Was it was it just natural? Did or did an opportunity come up and you and you it, just take it? It was kind of a natural um, uh, evolution. I um, like virtually all of the voice actors whom I know now. Um, started out doing uh, live. In my case, it was music. I became I was a singer first. Uh, and then sort of segued into live theater. Um, uh, when I moved to Los Angeles many, many years ago, it was ostensibly to do um, live action stuff because, as you probably remember, um, the only outlets for animation in the late 70s, early 80s were basically ABC, CBS, and NBC on Saturday morning. Uh, there was no, you know, believe it or not, kids, there was no DirecTV, no Cartoon Network, no Nickelodeon, no Disney Channel. No VCRs, no DVDs. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I was just after the invention of the wheel. And um, I, in fact, I hold the patent for fire. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Thank so, you. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. So, um, uh, yeah, it, I, I went out there and I was doing a lot of live action stuff and music and uh, got the opportunity to audition as a general audition at Hanna-Barbera. 
um, and uh, various other places. And the first animated shows I worked on were G.I. Joe and Transformers back in 1985, 84, something like that. Um, and then was still doing live action stuff, but pretty much segued uh, full time into voice acting in uh, probably the late 90s. Um, because I, I really liked the fact, as an actor, that I wasn't limited by uh, my physicality. I mean, there are a million average-looking white guys in L.A. with SAG cards, you know. So uh, this aspect of the business is really fun for me. Uh, I just like to perform. It's a passion. And, and frankly, it probably wouldn't have mattered to me whether it was live action or voice acting, but voice acting opened up for me and, and gave me more opportunity. And I jumped in, and I'm so grateful that I did. Great fun. I'm sure we have listeners that loved G.I. Joe and, and Transformers yeah. back in the 80s. Who, what characters did you voice? G.I. Joe, I did a, uh, two characters. One called um, Snow Job, who was a, uh, an alpine um, uh, soldier, uh, which I thought was a little disconcerting because Snow Job, as I recall, always wore white because he was in the snow and that was great camouflage, but he had a bright red beard. So, like <laughs> I remember any yeah. any uh, at that time any Ruski worth his salt could have taken out Snow Job in one in one spell swoop. You know, just aim for the guy with the red beard. Um, but uh, no, it was uh, Tripwire and 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 uh, Snow Job. I don't recall what I did on Transformers. I think they were aerial bots or some permutation. But the cool thing about working on the shows was not so much the fact that I was I got to be on the shows. It was that I got to meet people like Frank Welker and Peter Cullen and uh, Chris Latta and Arthur Berghardt and Michael Bell and all these folks, Jack Angel, who were already really established and have gone on to be you know, iconic actors uh, in their own right. And so I just got a taste of working with all these world-class talents. And I, I really, I was aware of many voice actors, but there were people like Paul Fries and and uh, uh, June Foray and Gene Vanderpile and Alan Reed and Mel Blanc and um, uh, I probably said Mel Blanc twice, but anyway, uh, 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 Dawes Butler, Don Messick, all those guys that were classic, you know, Warner Brothers and uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle folks and Hanna Barbera folks, and I didn't get the chance. I had not known about the other guys, so getting to know Peter Cullen and Welker and the, that was huge, uh, and it just also solidified this uh, desire I had to work in that medium. Yeah. So was, were, were those your first gigs? Yeah. Okay. Transformers and G.I. Joe were the first cartoons I did. So when when did you reach a point where you were like, this is for me, this is what I want to do? Like, What was the role that really defined it Probably for you? Ninja Turtles. Probably uh, doing Raphael on uh, the original Ninja Turtles show. Uh, certainly nobody knew that Ninja Turtles was going to end up being Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Um the no pun intended, the sort of quintessential evergreen franchise, man. This thing is crazy. Yeah. And um, uh, so I think when that really hit in about like early 90s, it really took off. And uh, once you're involved in a mega hit like that, then the door's sort of open for you to read. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get more work, but you get a lot more opportunity. And uh, as we know, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So I was, uh, I was really. Uh, prepared and got a couple of really nice breaks. And so uh, once I started um, getting a lot of work, uh, it didn't take an MIT grad to figure this is the gig. You know, this is really cool. And, um, you know, when you start, it's cool to see your own action figures. And the thing that really solidified it for me also was the, res- the response of, uh, of children, because I love kids. And 
Uh, one of the great things about being involved with a, a huge hit like that is that you can have a profound effect on a lot of children, particularly those in the hospital, you know, so you can call kids on the phone and they buy it, man. They buy it hook, line, and sinker. The dude, I'm talking to Raphael. This is, this is crazy, man. Check this out. I got Raphael. Of course, the next question is, where are Donatello, Michelangelo? And, well, they're not here, man. They're, they're, they're not here. Well, what can I talk to Splinter? Well, Splinter's not here either. It's like, well, are you the only one working? You know? But, but that's really cool because that was uh, a huge gift for me to have something in which I could have that kind of effect on, on kids and their parents. Uh, so I thought, wow, if I can be creative, uh, have my own action figure, work with actors that are world-class talents to this day. If these people I was mentioning were here today, these people would freak out if they knew that Welker and Peter Cullen and all those guys were here because they've all solidified themselves in the pantheon of greats. Um, and I get to make a living. Um, and I get to have this great effect on, on kids. And now, having done it for th- almost 30 years, adults and kids, um, it's a great... Uh, hu- that's when I thought, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, and I wouldn't have turned down you know, live-action stuff but uh, it would have had to have been some pretty good gigs, maybe a, a lead on a series or a couple of movies or something, to turn down the opportunity to work just about every day. So in my case, it was a good choice. I really, really have had a ball. I'm a huge fan of Pinky and the Brain. Oh, I, good for you. Don't oh, you have good taste? I do. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Narf. That's, oh, man, that's, that, that's awesome. I, 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 Look, I, you, you're, the color of your skin is turning pink right now. That's right. How interesting. <laughs> you can't see the homie. He's very handsome with his pink face. That's, but that, that, that's, that's the curse of being light-complected. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, can you tell us how you, how you got the Pinky and the Brain job? Mm-hmm. That was um, a, a, just a traditional audition. Um, that is to say, uh, uh, those of us who were lucky enough to work on Tiny Toons, that was kind of a precursor to Animaniacs. It was Steven Spielberg and Gene McCurdy and Tom Ruger and all the gang at Warner Brothers. Uh, that was at the end of the 80s. And um, we knew after about, a, I don't know, a couple of years of Tiny Toons, we knew that Animaniacs was coming. And the cool thing about it was it was going to be completely original characters. It wasn't going to be sort of smaller versions of classic cartoons, which was great. It was great fun. And Charlie Adler and Tress and Joe Alasky and again Frank Welker and just great, great talents. Uh, Gail Mathias from Saturday Night Live. Lots of good uh, folks on that show on, on Tiny Toons. But uh, when Animaniacs was coming along, uh, I, of course, was really excited about auditioning because I'd mentioned earlier I started out as a singer and I knew that music was really going to be an integral part of Animaniacs. And uh, so it's the only time that I've ever had the hubris to walk up to a producer and say, if you don't hire me for this, you're making a mistake. <laughs> and it wasn't, um, it wasn't arrogance. It was, I knew these people. They were my friends. But, but I just wanted to sort of instill in them how much I really, really wanted this gig. And I'll do whatever it takes to get this gig because I knew it was going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I auditioned, and I remember Tress McNeil, who played Dot and so many other great characters, she and I called each other, gosh, probably a couple nights a week for a month and a half because it was a very long callback audition process, as you can imagine. Lots and lots of actors really wanted this job. Um, And so Pinky was part of the whole Animaniacs uh, 
uh, what am I saying? The, the, the sort of anime. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. I, we've got no honey. That's okay. Right. How on earth can you? How dare you sneeze? Oh, my goodness. Have you no idea who I am? <laughs> no, it's okay, honey. Because if you tried to hold it in, your head would have exploded, and that would have been quite a mess on the on the room. And we have to pay extra to clean up your brains off the wall and your pinky. <laughs> um, and you, honey, don't be silly. It's no problem. Um, the uh, uh, so it was anyway. The, the, as you know, Pinky and all the other characters were part of the sort of Animaniacs family, and I auditioned for several of them. Uh, one of which was Pinky, and um, it was just a question of coming up with different ideas and several callbacks. And I think that Maurice would never admit to this because he's such a gracious fellow. But I think that the fact that uh, Maurice was going to play the brain was pretty much a fait accompli because. He does this incredible Orson Welles impression, and it was so perfect for the brain, and um, uh, so it was kind of up to me to find a way to get the gig, and um, uh, luckily I did. And interestingly, there's an interesting bit of trivia that the fella who was second, who came in second um, uh, for Pinky, is a fellow whom I'd worked with a couple of times, and now I work with his son on Ninja Turtles, and he's a Baltimore native. His name is John Aston, and John, the you know, Gomez Adams from the Adams family, now, God bless him, teaches uh, acting at Johns Hopkins University here in town. And um, his son, Sean, is now Raphael in the New Turtles. And I worked with John on an animated version of The Adams Family, which was unbelievable because he played, of course, Gomez Adams, and Carol Channing played Grandma, and Rip Taylor played Uncle Fester. What a cast that was. And then I, I worked also with John Aston on another show called Tasmania for Warner Brothers at the beginning of the 90s. Uh, but anyway... It was just an audition process, and that's how it came about. And fortunately, Mr. Spielberg, and in his infinite wisdom, decided to give me a job or two. Fantastic. Good thing for uh, <laughs> well, thank Spielberg. You. Spielberg definitely made the right choice. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> um, With doing such distinctive voices, what is it like creating these characters, and what are the auditions like when you it, bring them well, to the table? It, it is a labor of love, of course. And, and as I say to a lot of actors now, I mean, Clearly, it's better to have money. I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich is better. But I have to tell you that the bottom line is that uh, I never became a performer of any sort for the money. It's all about passion. And, and that hasn't changed at all. I love doing conventions like this because uh, uh, I get a chance to, to share that passion with other people because I'm a fan, too. Um, and it's, it, it is... Uh, uh, it's interesting. If I am concerned about getting a job because I need the gig or I need the money, I almost inevitably don't get the job. Mm. My audition is 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 probably colored by that sort of desperation of I really need this gig. When I'm able to, and I'm much better at it now as I get older, but when I'm able to channel the uh, the passion that I have for the job into the audition, then my chances rise exponentially to get the job, pardon me, or at least to do a really good audition so that I know that if they'd given me an hour, I couldn't have done anything better than that. So it's, in, in the, the short answer to your question is uh, that it's enormous fun. Uh, even if you're doing a bad guy, like in these, uh, these new Batman Dark Knight uh, Returns movies, I play kind of a bad guy or a couple of bad guys or whatever, and it's really great to be a stinky bad guy, murderous type of fellow too. Um, and the passion doesn't change with that as, as well. It's just another way to have a really great time doing essentially what you used to do when you're in seventh grade. Great fun. And I've been doing that. I just always have loved creating. And some people do it with pencils. Some people do it with their viola. Some people do it with their um, 
uh, voice and and um, and it, that the whole creative process has uh, always been interesting to me and and a great deal of uh, gives me a great deal of self satisfaction and I've learned to sort of trust my gut because uh, often what find what I find interesting and entertaining the audience does too. Now, you started a charity and, and are still heavily involved in it. Can, can you please tell us more about it? Which one did I start? I think it was Goals. Goal Models. No, I didn't start that one. Okay. Um, I, I, and I, I don't recall having started any, but thank okay. you. I, I, I'm, I'm hopefully benevolent, benevolent enough to do that in the future. Mm -hmm. um, I, work, I have worked with several. One was Goal Models, which uh, was uh, a, a, a charity that I would go and, and speak to, um, you know, uh, inner city youth. Um, um, it wasn't a scared straight type of thing because I had an idyllic childhood by any measure. My mom and dad were married for 54 years, and I have a brother and two sisters and dogs, and mm -hmm. you know, just a, I had a really nice middle class upbringing and just south of Flint, Michigan. Um, but what I can do is talk to these kids again about finding something about which you're passionate because often these children whom I get to speak to, and I, I consider it a real pleasure and a privilege. You know, these kids are 15 or 16 years old, and they're in a lockdown facility, and the only reason they're not in prison is because they're not 18, yeah. right? And, and they're pretty, uh, pretty gnarly situation. Um, so I get to at least go talk to them about finding something about which they're passionate because I feel like if you can find something that you're passionate about, you're lucky. If you can find something about which you're passionate and you're good at it, wow, that's, that's really cool. You can have an avocation for life. Then if you can find something about which you're passionate, you're good at it, and you get paid for it, you've won the lottery. Right. And it doesn't even have to be millions. It's just if you can wake up in the morning and go, wow, I paid my rent working on cars or being a flower arranger or being an actor or being a radio personality or being a doctor. It's whatever it is that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Often, uh, and we all have things that we're passionate about and we're pretty good at them, like I love golf and I'm a pretty good golfer. Never going to make a dime at it, but it's a passion of mine. And I really encourage anybody, whether it's performing or whatever, to try to find something that you know, that you can find, if you're lucky enough to do it, um, as a child, it, it may end up being your pat, your um, your profession. Um, but a lot of times these kids, as, as a result of their circumstances, don't have anything to focus on except where the next dollar's coming from or how to survive, literally survive the next day uh, without being shot or beaten up or whatever. So I don't know that I've changed anybody's life, but I feel really uh, fortunate to have the opportunity to go speak to them. Um, but there are lots of fun charities that I get involved. I'm really involved. Like today, I have my USO hat on. I'm, I'm in you know, military territory, and I've been here several times on behalf of the USO and the, the eastern part of the country to go to bases. And next year, I think I'm going to get to go to Afghanistan. Or this year, not 2013. Go to Afghanistan. Wherever I can go, I have a tremendous respect for the military. And uh, uh, what's really great now is that, uh, like last year, I was at Quantico Marine Station in Virginia. <clears throat> and what's really great is you walk in, and there are like, 60 killing machines, right? Just badass dudes. And as soon as I start going, hey, God, look at all you soldiers. They just turn into 10-year-olds. <laughs> hey, you guys, what's up? Hello, Marines. You know, they just go crazy. And so in the end of an hour, they're going, sir, would you please record a voice message for me? Dude, and then you're calling, check this out, man. Pinky's on my voicemail. You know, <laughs> Hello, you've reached Sergeant Johnson, and he's not here right now. La, la, la. And they love that. And the thing that's really cool is that all these guys, if I go to a, a, a room full of 300 people, the audience for just the work I've done might be eight years old to 40, right? Because they like the new Ninja Turtles or the Tinkerbell movies or Fairly Odd Parents. And then I get people who grew up watching Animaniacs and the original Turtles. 
and uh, oh yeah, you can reach a whole totally. And so I'm in an incredibly lucky position, mm-hmm. and I want to take advantage of it because I just love meeting these people. So it's great when you can uh, have a, an effect on these guys whose lives are dedicated to allowing me basically to keep doing my gig. And so I, I have tremendous respect and admiration, and, and I want to work with the USO a lot, and you know, go to visit kids in hospital, anything I can do, and. These uh, conventions, especially smaller ones like this one, are really cool because you literally can just hang out with the fans in the lobby. Comic-Con is great, but it's a giant marketing tool, and and I love going. It's exciting, but it's exhausting because there are 150,000 people there, and it's just, it's overwhelmingly big. And when you're done with your gig, you can't just go into the crowd of 3,000 people and chat because it's crazy as a fan i feel the same way I yeah mean, this is great i mean we, we get to we could have a few minute conversation with you oh man and, and the pleasure is mine so i love this yeah definitely it, it right, pleasure's right back at us too, great so, yeah thanks man well I, I only have time for one more question i wanted to ask you uh what what few pro- future projects you have coming up what, what can we look forward to i um well boy that somebody asked me yesterday what's your favorite character and i always say the next one because mm-hmm. it means i'm working um uh, more Ninja Turtles, as a, fans may or may not know. As I mentioned, I was Raphael on the first batch. But now, thanks to the good graces of the folks at Viacom, I'm Donatello on the newest iteration of Ninja Turtles, which is done really well. Uh, the new Ninja Turtles, I think, has a new time slot on Friday night at 7 p.m., so it's kind of a primetime mm-hmm. turtle show on Nickelodeon, and it's great. The, uh, the new Turtles are myself as Donatello, uh, Jason Biggs is uh, Leonardo, Sean Astin is Raphael, and Greg Sipes, who many of you know as Beast Boy from Teen Titans, is Michelangelo, and uh, Mae Whitman, who is not only Tinkerbell in all the Tinkerbell videos, which I work on, uh, she's, uh, she plays Amber on Parenthood, and she is April O'Neil. Um, just a great cast, and what's really great about it is that the Turtles now is being produced by people who are probably about your age and grew up watching the original Turtles mm-hmm. and are totally passionate about the mythology and the ethos of the of the turtles, and so they're very um, respectful of the franchise. So, trust me, those of you who are going, oh man, they're screwing with turtles. It's in really good hands, and I think that's reflected in in the ratings. It's doing incredibly well. It's a very good show. Um, I'm doing uh, some cool stuff. A, a new show called Rick and Morty for Adult Swim, which I think won't be out till the fall, which is pretty funny. Uh, Maurice Lamarche, myself, John DiMaggio are working on that. Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, more Tinkerbell stuff for Disney. Um, I'm doing a really interesting web-based show, which my son is producing. Thank you very much. And we both got the job independent of each other, which was really cool. My son, Ash, is on the show, and it's a show called Bravo Man, Super Unequaled Hero of Excellence, um, which is <laughs> they took an 8-bit character from – this is Namco Bandai, who used to do uh, – well, Bravo Man was one of their 8-bit characters in addition to Pac-Man and a bunch of other stuff. So they take these really kind of cool Japanese titles, you know, Super Unequaled Hero of Excellence. So for those of you who are interested, go to shiftylook.com. That's S-H-I-F-T-Y, look.com, and, and check out Bravo Man. Uh, it's myself and D. Bradley Baker uh, and Romy Dames, two other wonderful uh, voice actors. And the Bravo Man theme song was written by Randy Rogel, who wrote United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, and so we kind of get to work together again. Um, my Twitter handle is at Yakko Pinky, Y-A-K-K-O-P-I-N-K-Y. Um, I have a podcast that's free called Talkin' Tunes, T-A-L-K-I-N-T-O-O-N-S, apostrophe, no, T, whatever, Talkin' Tunes. You find it, it's on iTunes, it's on my website, which is robpaulsonlive.com, and I have a free app for Apple devices, and the Android version of which is coming soon, but 
I have a Rob Paulson app, which will give you all the podcasts. It'll tell you where I'm going to be doing a lot of personal appearances, and there are many of them coming up. And uh, so, with all due respect to Lou Gehrig, I think I am the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And uh, <laughs> And thank you guys for taking the time to talk to me, man. It's been a real pleasure. It was a pleasure uh, uh, talking with you. Not at all. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Narf. Now who's ready for dessert? Sci-Fi 5 and 5, where we bring you the top five, the worst five, of anything in science fiction or fantasy, in five minutes or less. And we are back with our Sci-Fi 5 and 5. We hope you enjoyed our interview. And uh, Miles, you came up with this list. Why don't you tell us about the Sci-Fi 5 and 5 list we have in front of us, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, um, I have, somehow I got two of them on... Two of the same ones on one, but I, I could change that as, as I'm going by it. Um, okay. So, f- the, the, the number five, it's uh, Superman versus the Elite. Uh, and now these, no, just to back up, back up. This is five what? Okay. The, these are you can watch these on Netflix now if you have Netflix streaming. These are all animated superheroes. Uh, uh, superhero movies, yes, and they, and they probably were adaptations from a comic book or a graphic novel. Okay, very good. And so, so just wanted to kind of give that as a framework. Sure. So, um, number five is Superman versus the Elite. Uh, this was out maybe about six months ago. It was. Um, what, what's cool about this one is it explores should superheroes kill bad guys or not. I mean, superhero Superman. Um, Traditionally, never killed the bad guy. He 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 always felt he wasn't. He you know he was not you know judge, jury, and executioner. He he just you know just sort of helped. That was that was the you know the 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 burden of the courts to decide what to do. And so, but that issue comes up. There's there's the this this rogue group of superheroes who do kill the bad guys. And so he that's why that, that's the elite he is facing. And so, you, you're kind of taking on this little journey of. You know, should you know, Superman should kill the bad guys because you know, they'll just come back and, and and wreak havoc again. But then at the end, you're thinking maybe it's good that Superman doesn't kill the bad guys. So it it it, it was very thought provoking as well as entertaining uh, movie. M, did you see this one by chance? I have. I did see it. I um, last Christmas, my nephews and I were watching it, mm-hmm. and it was a little much for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember them getting a little freaked out about it, so we watched it in bits. But I I enjoyed it. I personally am a Tim Daly fan for Superman, even though George Newbern is is a he's so pretty, um, <laughs> but he's also very talented. But it's I I like a Tim Daly. I like his ad, his adaptation of Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one on the list is uh, Superman Batman um, Apocalypse. Summer awesome. Summer Glow was awesome. Uh, Sweet yes, Summer was was. Was, 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 was was Supergirl. Yeah, yeah. And, Ed, and Edward Asner. Uh, yeah. Ed Asner. He's awesome. Yes, Ed Asner. <laughs> um, but if, I, if I'm not mistaken, um, Tim, Tim Daly and Kevin Conroy voiced the characters for Superman and Batman. Yep. This one too. They so. were also in that one. So, so if you're a fan of you know the the animated stuff, th- this was good too. I recommend this. 
But we want to give some, you know, our, our Marvel comics some love also. There's some great Marvel comic, um, you know, animated movies out there that, 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 that are really good, too. Um, the Invincible Iron Man is basically an origin story of Iron Man. Um, that was out a few years ago. Definitely recommend that one. Uh, no, and no, was it, you, you liked it? I, I liked it. Um, and any, any notable voice actors in that one? Not that I know. I'd, I'd look to see, for, for look yeah, like a lot of, lot of, a lot of, uh, maybe just people who are just usually just, just, just do animation stuff. Oh, so, but it was still quite good. It's yeah, still quite they, look fa- they look familiar to me as far as from that world. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard, I've heard of these names and these people before. And um, it, the next one I have on the list is uh, number two is, is Ultimate Avengers the movie. This is back out in 06, So um, if you if you're if you're Jones for some adventures, uh, this one I should have the second one. There, there, there was two of them, but uh, this, this was the first one. It's an origin story of uh, the Avengers, and so you get a lot of good Captain America backstory uh, in this one. Um, but yeah, and the last one on my list, which I saw most recently, was um, was Justice League Doom. This is Doom. Yeah. awesome. This was this was this was incredible. Um, Tim, Tim and Kevin are in it again. Yes, and what was cool about this was yeah, Captain Mal was in it. Captain Tightman pants. <laughs> and and Michael Sorry, what, no, and Michael what Rosenbaum from Smallville was in it. Right, he was Flash. Oh, was he? Mm-hmm. I, I thought he'd be lax. No, when he, no, when 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 he do, when he does the voices for the animated uh, movies, he's, he, he he traditionally voices the Flash. Uh, when and Claudia Black's in it, and Paul Blackthorne's in it. Yep, awesome. So uh, the, the main baddie in this was Vandal Savage, which I think is a he's a really cool bad guy. Um, but basically, Batman ha- came up with these plans in case the Justice League goes rogue, and somebody breaks into the Batcave and gets these plans and. Um, it goes a little above and beyond what Batman had in place, so it's a, it's a good conflict between what Batman has with his fellow superheroes as far as having a, a plan to uh, neutralize them if 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 the need arose. But um, phenomenal, uh, great great storytelling, great just great comic book superhero uh, stuff. So yeah, and and the beautiful part is if you have Netflix streaming, you don't have to wait for the DVDs. You just get on your TV or your computer and. You can watch it right right there. Awesome. Woo-hoo. Awesome. And Vandal Savage is voiced by Phil Morris, who I don't know. You see him in everything and you hear him in everything, but I always will remember him as Unseinfeld, the, the lawyer. Who told you to put the bomb on? I didn't oh. tell you to put the bomb on. Oh, that's him. Okay. That's him. <laughs> he's he's another amazing person that I would love to sit down and talk to. Because he, he's he's been in Every genre of movie except for the dirty ones, but he may have. I don't know. I don't know him that well. Um, He's he's delicious. (laughs) Well, in Smallville, he was also uh, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter in Smallville. That's right. (laughs) And he had a bit role in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Okay. So now you've you've refreshed my memory who he was in some of his past work. Yeah, awesome. So that's my sci-fi five at five. Very good. And listeners, as always, if you have your own sci-fi five and five that you want to submit, you can obviously call in one eight 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 five eight four three four three or email us to sci-fi diner podcast at gmail dot com. And if you have a sci-fi five and five, you can share it on the podcast as well. 
Awesome possum. Awesome. Well, I believe that's about it. We need to wrap up the show and get out of here. That was an amazing meal. I am so full of wonderful sci-fi goodness. Yeah, well, I believe that's about it. Until next time, we will see you. Miles, thank you. And M, thank you for joining us again. So until next time. Thank you for having me again. Good night and good luck. We will see ya. Thank you so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food and the service and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at 1-888-508-4343 or click the SpeakPipe link at scifidinerpodcast.com or send an mp3 or typed email to scifidinerpodcast at gmail.com You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash scifidiner We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show. If you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation, you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at scifidinerpodcast.com
All right, we're going to give a little short introduction to Ron Paulson here. Okay. So, and uh, I'll let you give the intro to that. I'll kind of introduce it here. So, and uh, Em, have you ever been to Farpoint? I have not. I've missed it. Yeah. Um, because I was on the Joko Cruise. That's meeting. right. That's right. Yeah. Hey, that My was close personal friend, Will Wheaton. That's right. Am Wheaton. You got it. Maybe you can score us an interview with him sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> My very close personal friend, Will Wheaton. <laughs> 